Amen. I'd like to thank you, choir. Many of you have sat through. This is now their third service, 6, 8, and 11 for many of them. So thank you. Uh, and if I get anything wrong in the sermon, just let me know after because I'll, okay, there we go. What a joy it is. We have had so much fun tonight. Merry Christmas. I will tell you, having the Cowboys play on Christmas Eve has been fascinating uh, today. What it did was just spread people out uh, across all the services. Uh, so I actually think we made a new record tonight in attendance for uh, St. Andrew on Christmas Eve. But I see people who I know went to the Cowboy game make it for 11 p.m. So you're welcome. We're glad uh, we have this service here. But tonight we get to celebrate something far more important than a victory. Well, it's a different kind of victory. It's a victory of God's planning actually coming to fruition after millennia. You see, the, the thing that I particularly am thinking about tonight as it comes to this is just how fun it is when your plans actually work. You know, there are these times and moments when you end up imagining this is going to be really cool. And most of the time, some of the times that works, some of the times it doesn't. I mean, I'm particularly thinking about gifts because I have some wrapped under the tree. Actually, there's one that's too big for the tree. All right, I think I can tell you all what it is. I've not told anyone else what I've gotten all service, but the kids are definitely asleep and uh, all the rest of that. We got our kids a stair slide for Christmas. Literally, it's a slide that goes on your stairs inside with a little pad on the bottom. It's so steep. I tried it out personally. It is so fast. I'm not kidding you. Like, because it's like a whole, anyway, it's a whole thing. So anyway, I'm really excited about this. And I am confident that my kids are going to absolutely love this thing. Like, there's just no doubt my kids are going to absolutely relish this. And here's the thing. They don't know what it is yet. There's going to come some really cool moment. They don't know what it is yet. It's pretty awesome, and it's not yet here. And that moment of anticipation is awesome. I think a lot of times that happens through uh, giving birth. Like the, uh, you know, a lot of the, my small group for a while, there was everyone kind of got pregnant-ish at the same time. Uh, women, you know, got pregnant at the same time. And the, the funny thing was, like, we started playing a game. Like, hey, who's pregnant at this, you know, gathering? Because, like, it just started. And, but there's something really cool when someone knows it and they're not yet telling it, like they smile a little bit different. Like there's just a little piece there that you can tell is a little bit different more than just what they eat or drink that is just different about them when they know something cool. And yet, it's not yet time to reveal it. I think about that for the angels on this night. You know, Mary and Joseph had nine months or so to prep for Bethlehem. Although they don't think they quite anticipated having to make the trek on a donkey to Bethlehem. But the angels knew it. The angels have been preparing for this moment for years, not just years, not just decades, literally millennia. The angels were celebrating and anticipating the fact that the one who made them would become human, that they would witness the birth of their creator. Just think about the reality of that moment and how cool that is. And they know that that's going to be the end of the story. Because the angels were present when, say, Abraham made his covenant with God. Present with Isaac and Jacob when they maintained that covenant. With Moses when he saw the burning bush. With, the, uh, with King David when he became king and even when he messed up. And don't you know the angels were whispering in anticipation a thousand years before Jesus. Just we wait. One day there will come a king who's even greater than this. The angels were present with the 
prophets of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, the ones who prophesied the Son of Man would come, that, that someone from the root of Jesse's tree would come and, and create an everlasting kingdom, one that would never end. When Isaiah proclaimed that there would come a virgin who would give birth to a child who would be the Son of God. You see, these pieces have been prophesied for centuries. And the angels knew it. And so on the night that Jesus was born, can you, can you imagine when you've been planning something for 2,000 years or longer? And now's the moment. Now's the moment when it all comes to fruition. And they had so much energy and so much joy at all of their planning coming to fruition that they just had to tell somebody. So they went and they found the people in the fields that they could tell. They couldn't tell King Herod because, you know, that turned out badly for some of the other, uh, for, for some of Bethlehem. They, they couldn't tell all the, all the innkeepers who'd rejected Mary. So what do they do? They go and they find the shepherds. Smelly, nasty shepherds. If you don't know that, that's just part of the deal. Back 2,000 years ago, they were a little bit more of outcasts. They smelled. They were out in the wilderness just hanging out with their sheep all night. And the angels went, man, no one will believe them. I can tell them. They show up and get to tell them. Well, here, let me just reread it. Luke 2. But the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. They would come to find out that he is actually the one who had made, who had made the angels. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the firstborn of all creation, entered into human flesh on this day. This is why it's good news. It's because God was doing something new. The darkness in the world was not going to win. There was a victory but other people didn't even know it yet. They didn't quite realize that the game had been won, that there was reason to have joy because God had now entered. I think a lot about that word joy, particularly because it's one that is deeper than I think a lot of our world talks about. We give a lot of kind of credit to just words going, oh yeah, joy, that's great. But we don't think about precisely what it could mean for us. A lot of times we choose a cheaper substitute like happiness. Now, I'm not opposed to happiness. I like happiness. My, one of my favorite podcasts is called The Happiness Lab by Lori Santos. She's a professor of psychology at Yale University. She teaches a class entitled Psychology and the Good Life, where the entire point of the class is to teach you the lessons of social science and then how to basically trick your brain into doing the things that actually make you really happy. Because, you know, you may not know this. Many of the things we think we want don't actually make us happy. You may not know this, but it's true. It's funny, like when you actually look at like the bare essentials of this entire massive podcast, it could be written Christian virtues, but without Jesus. Because the entire principle of the kind of social psychology is that the basic principles of scripture are true. When it says in, the, in, the, in Dr. Lori Santos's introduction that your mind is lying to you and we're broken, Christians ought to be like, yeah, yeah, we've been saying that for a long time. It's original sin, it's the whole brokenness thing. When, when it says that you ought to be a part of something that gives you purpose and meaning, when it says you ought to connect and have social interactions with other people, when it says that you ought to give 
Seriously, there's a whole podcast from Yale about how generosity makes you happier in the long run. It's one of the few things that across every socioeconomic scale actually changes the way you think about things. And it also comes to service. When you care for others, when you do for others, it actually is better than if you did it for yourself. At St. Andrew, we have four pillars. Worship, connect, serve, and give that could be boiled down to those four pieces. You need to be a part of something bigger. You see, the difference with the secular world is there's nothing to kind of unify you, no truth, no thing that can actually insert within yourself that allows for you to think about everything differently. It's all about, well, can I do this myself? But you see, I don't think that's enough. I think what we need on Christmas is an intervention. What we need is Jesus. Just think about those shepherds, the ones the angels went to. You see, they were the same in the same circumstances the day after Christmas than the day before. Hung out with smelly sheep, kind of social outcasts, slept with the sheep, smelled. This is their world. They did that day before Christmas. Angels come day after Christmas. Same thing. Except, can you imagine going back and doing that job the same after you've met the Lord of the universe? No. You see, most of the times what happens is you're sold something that is just, you change the external factor. You buy this new car, you get this new thing, you get this new job, you upgrade at some level, and all of a sudden you're going to be happy. And you are for a very short period of time, at which point in time then the novelty of that wears off and you go back to your baseline happiness and the new thing no longer makes you happy any longer. This striving for something that won't satisfy is part of what we Christians have always named as reality for humans. It's why when we try to fix ourselves with external items, it just doesn't work. But you see, the shepherds didn't try to fix themselves with their external framework. They went back to the same job, they went back to the same life, the same framework, but they thought about it differently. My grandma in the 1980s started hanging out in, uh, the, in the Palestinian areas of Israel and uh, got connected to some um, Palestinian Christians uh, in a small little uh, community called Beit Suhur, which is right next to Beit Lechem, Bethlehem, literally like right next door. And these Palestinian Christians claim that they were actually the great, 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 grandchildren of the original shepherds that they've been in an unbroken line of Palestinians for 2,000 years who have told the story on this night that their ancestors met the angels who went to meet Jesus and their family was never the same. Because the truth of Christmas is that we are not left to our own devices. We're not left to our own world but rather God has entered into the world and fundamentally changed it. This is why joy can be a thing. Something that is deeper and more abiding. Something that is, that is internal to, to us, that is, changes the foundation of our hearts and our lives so that we could live differently here and forevermore. See, really, I think Christianity is this, is this truth, is this reality that enables us to operate in a different world as if we have the light within us. 
as if we know the truth, even as those angels did 2,000 years ago, that we are capable tonight of welcoming Jesus. Not for a cheap substitute to change our external factors of our lives, but as the solid reality on which to build everything. It's what allowed Paul, for instance, to sing in prison. Or Robert Hasley, our founding pastor, to have the most joy-filled life with cancer I've ever seen in my entire life. It's why I see people in this place who give, who serve, who love, that you would never understand how much they give, serve, and love because it's just what they do. It's just who they are. And so this Christmas, I hope you accept the intervention of God in your life. Not to fix all the external stuff, but the internal peace, the heart, the core of ourselves. Because when we understand the truth that the angels were singing that night, what could we do but experience the joy that the victory is won, that Christ is with us? Let us pray. Gracious God, on this night as we partake of communion, remind us that you are with me. Remind us, God, that you are here and we're not alone. Amen.